0: This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Jamie Geyer, the chief marketing officer at Seros, knows about what people want. I mean, from a young age, she was seeing gaps in the market and finding ways to bridge them early on. Her eye for business had her selling ash from Mount St. Helens on a cross-country road trip when she was just a kid. But the business side of things will always be second to the human side of a company. And that's where Jamie's unique eye for storytelling plays a major role in Sarosa's success. She finds a way to meet the needs of the customer with a storyteller's grace.
1: The reality is that you have to be very relevant to a community of people, and you're feeding them based on both the heart and the mind. So intellectually, what are we providing to them that makes them better at what they do? From the heart perspective, how do you tell the stories and help them see a better version of themselves in what you can provide?
0: Her strategy is paying off. Ciros is rapidly growing, and they are keeping culture and creativity at the heart of everything they do. Their mission is to help customers unlock their creativity and build exceptional content using their unique and powerful design platform and resources, all without writing a single line of code. So how does Jamie manage to acquire new clients, find ways to help them meet their needs, while also keeping focus on their narrative? all while leading a team of her own. Tune into this week's episode of Marketing Trends to find out. I saw you were on Drew's show and I've seen, I've heard you speaking before. And so I'm curious to kind of just know with you, like, what are you most excited to talk about?
1: Well, that's a loaded question. So what am I most excited to talk about mm-hmm. uh, besides that really cool Chiefs-Bills game? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a football fan. Uh, I love
0: it. That's great. a
1: Hogs fan, for full disclosure, but wow, what a game. Um, I think I'm most excited to talk about how, a mar- how marketing has evolved over the years. I got into this practice in 1994, so I'm dating myself a little bit, Jeremy, but the reality is marketing has changed and it's it's evolved. If anything, I'm trying to keep up with that. And I've learned what I don't know about marketing, which I think is why it's so important to hire talent that uh, really understands today's marketing and the discipline around it. Not to say that some of the basics and the classical way of doing marketing is irrelevant because it's not. Mm-hmm. But I'm very excited about the direction it's going and its relevancy to how you drive business growth.
0: I love that. Awesome. Is there anything that you wished more people asked you about? Maybe this a topic or a theme or something where you're like, you'd want to talk about that, that you don't have an opportunity to or doesn't get brought up?
1: I think, uh, I wish more people would ask where did you grow up? Mm. Where did this begin? I love it. And the reason, Jeremy, that I, I think about that question is because there's a lot of young professionals, aspiring professionals, who don't have a lot of opportunity right in front of them. And if anything, that story, my story, might provide a little bit of hope and encouragement that you can come from a small town not go to an Ivy League school, come from a broken family, and by pure grit and determination, you can do whatever you want.
0: I love that. We'll definitely get into that. I think you know one thing that I love doing with with guests here is like is that origin story. It's like where did the genesis begin like where was the the spark the love affair with marketing the you know the early days kind of intersection crossroads of like the choice you made that took you down this crazy path.
1: Well, I got a good story of how I think I got into marketing, but.
0: Okay, okay, good.
1: (laughs) We'll go into history.
0: So let's start at the beginning. I I am curious, I saw that your background, look, I mean, you've got a lot of marketing experience and I, I went kind of back in LinkedIn and saw early days kind of career stuff, but where did this start for you? Like where did the beginning of this dance with marketing start with you?
1: It started in May of 1980. There was a significant event that happened, uh, and that was the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Wow. So two months later, after that big event, I remember that. I was in third grade when that happened. Uh, We were doing a cross-country family trip from Washington State to Iowa. And my sister and I had this idea that we would bring buckets of ash, because there was ash everywhere. So we went and got buckets of ash put them in vials, and sold them along the way. When we saw that there was plenty of demand for this, because it was a worldwide event. I mean, this made international news. When we saw the demand for it, it occurred to us, wow, we could charge more. (laughs) So (laughs) I think we even got a little bit of a dose of microeconomics in there as well. So in that story, I think it showed that we had an idea that we can bring to the rest of at least the country from Washington to Iowa. And we were pretty aggressive in doing that. Um, I've told this story before and one of my CEOs, former CEOs actually nicknamed me Ash. So to this day, he'll, he'll call me Ash for that reason. But I think that was, that was kind of the origin of getting into marketing. I think to a large degree, Jeremy, I've always had an interest in how you connect with people. More importantly, uh, stories are a big part of my life. I remember growing up on a lot of stories, whether my nose was in a book or I'm listening to Paul Harvey on the radio, for example, and the stories that he would tell. And I think that just really grabbed my attention and, and put me on the pathway of this profession. I've never left it. I consider myself very blessed that I found what I really love to do, even if marketing has evolved since the time that I was in school and getting classically trained. There's a lot that I've learned. It's something I'm very passionate about. I feel blessed that I found it.
0: What were some of the early kind of formative marketing experiences, campaigns, things you saw or were involved in creating or collaborating on that kind of, and again, kind of confirm this love of marketing and, and set you on this path?
1: The earliest one that I can think of, I was doing mostly public relations. That was where I, I did start was in, in PR and then broaden. My experiences, I got interested more in branding and advertising. I was working for a small, privately held company here in Washington State, and we were in the diagnostics industry, selling directly to consumers. This happened to be a diabetes company. We were selling um, blood glucose testing strips. We got into a pretty big patent infringement lawsuit with a very large global company, which I will not name. But it became this David and Goliath story, if you will. But this is, remember, this is one of my first experiences out of college. And I was charged with capturing the stories and the voices of people who would be impacted, whose lives would be impacted if they didn't have access to the product that we were selling at that time. And it occurred to me then how important my role was in making sure that their voices were heard and having something I could really rally around. And actually, that was the very beginning of being intentional of the industries that I wanted to participate in, where there was some kind of social impact for the well-being of other people. So that that experience stuck with me because it directed the course of where I was going to go from there on out. I think the other campaign that comes to mind that I'm really proud of and it's more recent. And this this has a lot of a lot of relevancy to us as marketers today because we fail on the front of really understanding who the hero of our story is. We get so enamored with products and technology and what we're selling that sometimes we forget the impact that that's having on the lives of people and how do you show that? When I was at DreamBox Learning, which is a K3 digital math program, a lot of our marketing had focused on kind of the traditional teacher student at the computer practicing math. And it occurred to us, we were not being effective in really, in really connecting what we do to the hearts and minds of a broader community, which is around the child. So we did a whole DreamBox uh, campaign around dream big, and we put the focus not on the technology but on the aspirations that these children have to become the next astronaut, the next construction worker, the next artist, the next mathematician. And that math understanding, confidence and competence is the underpinning of their possibilities on that. And so those are two campaigns that I think of, one from the standpoint of what led me to stay in the industries that I've been involved in. And the other is the story around how we make our customers the hero and not necessarily the product that we're selling.
0: I love how I love how story was such a key part of your you know early development and has kind of been a through line for you. Where you know fast forwarding till now, you know obviously with what your business is providing, you know content. And I know I want to get into some of that. And what a beautiful like dance with story with story and how important it is, no matter. What, you know, I think there's something that there's been some consistent things that don't change in marketing over the years. And I think story and storytelling is just it's just so important. Now, the way we tell it may have shifted and changed the technology we use to engage with the story will we'll shift and evolve. But I love how you kind of grasp onto that early on. And then you got a chance to actually leverage story and connect with customers. And I think that's been formative for you, it seems.
1: It's been very formative for me. I mean, like I said, even as a child, Books were really important. And I still, to this day, I've got stacks of books everywhere around my house. But it was because I wanted to understand whether they were fiction or nonfiction. It didn't matter to me. You can get immersed in somebody's story, life story in particular. And that just always, that's the thing that connects with my heart, most importantly. and mm. makes me just wiser about the world in, in general. And wow. it is one of those basic things. Like I said before, I'm not you know, I've had to kind of keep pace with all of the changes, especially on the digital front related to marketing. There's a lot to know and it changes, but the basics haven't changed. And that storytelling, which I care so deeply about hasn't, there's some basics around there. And sometimes that gets lost because we're, we're focused too much on the other things.
0: Mm, I agree. So I know that you, You spent some time at GE Healthcare. You also spent some time at Microsoft as well. And so I am curious about some of the things that you cultivated, lessons learned, maybe favorite failures, um, just experiences at GE and, of course, at Microsoft that kind of led more to your further development as a CMO.
1: Sure. So um, I spent a few years at GE Healthcare by way of an acquisition. And so I stayed on as part of an integration team to figure out how do you now take all of these different brands? So you have the GE, the GE Healthcare, and then this other company brand, and how do you integrate them into a way that makes sense to your customers and to your prospects? Uh, And so that was a very interesting thing for me to work on because it had broader implications. And that was really true brand strategy because GE at the time was doing a number of acquisitions and they really were building up their healthcare practice. At the same time, particularly on the information technology side, which is where I focused and being able to collaborate and find your way around this massive organization as the acquired company, while you're trying to figure out a brand strategy on a very tight timeline because you needed to be able to go out to the marketplace very quickly to 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 share with people the why. Behind the acquisition and the impact, and how it was going to change healthcare, how it was going to change it for providers and consumers, uh, payers, and 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 others. That was a very. That's I say, Jeremy. That's where I got my MBA. Those two years plus, mm. I got to get up close to how acquisitions are done. This is relevant because one of the things I like to talk about with my fellow CMO network is we have to learn to take off our functional hat and be relevant to the broader organization. We need to be able to have an an opinion and experience to share on other aspects of the business besides what we do every day in marketing, whether that's in um, product strategy, customer success. It could be HR, you know, programs to really make sure that we're retaining uh, the best talent, we're attracting the best talent but that really propelled me to have a broader appreciation for all other aspects of business and getting closer to it and it's made me better as a marketer at the same time but i think those are the pathways that lead to us having a seat at the table with you know on the executive team and at the board table at the same time so i was there for for a few years and then um, i'd love to go to to microsoft and I didn't go to Microsoft because of the prestige of the brand. Even though it was right in my backyard, many of my, my friends and family members had gravitated towards Microsoft because it was nice to have that on your resume. The reason I went to Microsoft is like many non-healthcare technology companies, they wanted to get in and solve some of the very, very complex problems that traditional healthcare companies just were struggling to solve. And so there was a little incubation business or I considered it an incubation business within the R&D organization that I joined that was there to solve some of those problems. And it gave me a chance to work with uh, people who were former competitors of mine, but also to get close to the very talented people within Microsoft and with our collective experience, try to tackle these bigger issues in healthcare.
0: Mm. I love what you said about you know taking kind of the functional hat off at times and i i especially now i feel like the cmo role is like one of the most unique roles on the elt you have to be so aligned with more stakeholders now you have to understand like you said you're at this intersection of product and finance and operation sales of course marketing of course even it and security and safety and privacy and so Today's marketing leader is vastly different in my opinion than even maybe a few short years ago. Well, it seems like today you really have to have this right brain, left brain, like you got to be able to access both to be to be really good today.
1: That is the challenge because we do have to straddle left and right constantly.- mm-hmm. And even more so today than we did even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because now we have all of this data and information that we have to make sense of. And so getting the art and science of what we do balanced in a way that we have impact is important. And I've always, I mean, to be frank, I've always gravitated towards the creative side of of marketing. I mean, to me, that is the storytelling, that is the brand. Uh, And I don't mean brand just from the design aspect, uh, although I think that's You know, the the visual language that we use is really important because we're all visual thinkers. But now we're in a situation where we have to pay attention to the data and the information. It's going to make us better. It's going to make us serve our customers better at the same time. But it is, it's exhausting. I I actually think the CMO role is probably one of the most exhausting roles for that reason. And because you're constantly shifting between left and right. The other piece of that too, Jeremy, is that the makeup of the marketing team is made up of left brain and right brain, fully left, fully right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: professionals. And the way that you lead and inspire them is very different. And so you're also having to adapt the way that you lead your team based on those types of thinkers. So it's a taxing job. In fact, hug your CMO today.
0: <laughs> well, you know, seriously, you know, you are in the same vibration of, um, do you know Ingrid Burton, CMO at Quantcast?
1: Yes. I listened to the interview. They
0: Yes. Oh, yes. okay, cool. I don't know if, I don't know if this part made it to the, to the final episode, but basically like at the end of the conversation, she, just like he was, she started to really open up and share like how challenging the role is and how, how, how important self-care is for CMOs. And you know, I even think she said something along the lines of like, hug a CMO. And it's like, when you really get to even peek, for me, I'm not a CMO, I'm a marketing leader in an organization, but I'm not leading marketing teams. And but even peeking under the hood at what is what a modern day CMO is doing at big brands, brands of all sizes. It's like, whoa, you you just for lack of a better word or phrase, like you just you got to be really good to stay there. And on the, on the note of you said a couple of really awesome things and I want to unpack each of those one you talked about data and of course you know it's the oil it's, it's there's a lot of it it's super important I interviewed the the CMO of UPS um, Kevin Warren who talked about that UPS is a 120 year old you know business and they had all this data and they have da- data and reports on reports and data about this and data about that and he he just talked about how they had too much of it. And so how to kind of navigate that world of like, there's so much, it is important. And how do you extract what's really useful? Um, and I'm curious about that. So just your commentary on data would be interesting to hear.
1: That is, that is a, a very difficult thing to answer um, in terms of how do you extract the most important pieces of data because there is so much of it. I've struggled with that. I've had to bring in numerous tools that would help me do that. And um, I mean, even then, there's still so much. Uh, In fact, I think we have to figure out what data we ignore at the same time, Mm -hmm. because there's just too much of it. Um, And it also, by the way, data is not perfect. It's not perfect. And if we think about the way that buyers buy, and it doesn't matter if you're B2B or B2C, Data doesn't track the full customer journey perfectly because of our own behavior and how we search for products offline. And so we have to be very careful about its uses. At Saros, in fact, we've had a lot of conversations. We're a highly creative organization. I don't think I've ever worked with such a creative CEO in my life. It's refreshing. I love it. If anything, he hired me to help bring in the science, the data, the order to the business, but we've decided that data will help to substantiate decisions, not necessarily drive decisions. And so we're trying to find even for ourselves, what's the proper use of it? But it's a very complicated thing. I think this it's very taxing to CMOs and any marketing professional. And how do you make sense of it and drive the right decisions? I think even the shift from the shift to the cookieless world is going to be good for us because now we can work with the data that we have and it's going to be more meaningful for us
0: on the vein of customer expectations you know and there was a a, a high percentage that salesforce reported on where it said like 72% of marketers say meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year ago How has this played out for you? And what is your team doing to tackle this consistent challenge of rising customer expectations?
1: I would say, Jeremy, that our customers are going through the same struggles that we are. And the pandemic, as much as I don't even want to bring up that word in this conversation, because I think we're all a little bit burnt out, but I would be remiss if I didn't. Because the pandemic has really weighed on our stress levels on our emotions and I think that transcends even into our customers and how they interact with us. So I don't know if expectations have increased or what it might be, the expectations may have changed. And that is our customers are trying to figure out how to operate in this environment too. So I'm gonna think kind of short term. And so for Saros, what we've done is we've really shifted to how can we be the best partner? Not necessarily from our product. I would say that our product is very good. It it, it addresses some real needs that marketers have in terms of content. But how do you be a really good strategic partner to them so that you're helping to guide them through it as well? And I'm not talking just about traditional customer support. I've got a problem with how to use your technology. I'm going to call in. But how do you lean in and go... How can I help you today? How can I help you with strategy? How can I help you with this design that you might need to do? So if anything, I'm not sure that the customer expectations are putting us under much more pressure as much as that they've changed and they've morphed because we're all under a lot of pressure.
0: Have you guys reprioritized any metrics due to the the pandemic? I know a lot of marketing organizations have kind of changed or even totally reprioritize metrics? Like, if so, what's become the most valuable metric for you and your team in this kind of new era?
1: Well, they haven't changed a whole lot because we're already a digital company. I know many companies ended up because we went into this kind of remote, can't be together in person uh, environment. And so, Saros was already well positioned to to handle, to address kind of this shift to more things digital. So our our metrics haven't changed. Our ultimate metric for marketing at Seros Cer- is pipeline contribution in the term in the in the way of ARR. All of the other metrics above that are indicators for us on whether we're going to achieve that. This is important, right? We we need to understand mm-hmm. what's resonating, what's not. But we also do a really great job uh, and we've we've strengthened this the last couple of years is really understanding the health of the customer based on not only how are we delighting them, so like NPS score and things like that, but how often are they using our platform? What types of experiences are they creating? So there's a lot of different ways that we're looking at it, Jeremy, in terms of just the health of the customer mm-hmm. that gives us an idea of how happy they are and if they're likely to
0: renew with us. What are the types of brands that Saros is really helping?
1: Okay, this is one of the reasons, if you don't mind me sharing, why I came to Cerro's. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it in a, in a little longer fashion.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, so the majority of my career have, has been spent in two verticals, healthcare and education when I was at Dreambox, primarily with healthcare. At Cerro's, we serve all brands, all verticals. This is very exciting to me because now I get to work with amazing brands that historically I've never, you know, I might've been their customer, but I've never been able to help support and how they do what they do and getting new customers, retaining customers and that sort of thing. So we have a lot of large brands that use us across different verticals, whether it's in construction and manufacturing, healthcare. So I still get a dabble in healthcare and education because we have that vertical as well. So, and we have partnerships as well with social media companies. So, if uh, somebody is not actually using the Seros platform to create experiences, if they are advertising on, say, Pinterest, we have a partnership with them to do, you know, post click experiences for them. But I get to work with a number of pretty amazing brands from Kempton Hotels to Monster.com, uh, United Airlines. I mean, it is just, it's, it's a strong portfolio of about 800 brands nationally, internationally, I should say, that are using our platform.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. Is there an SDR department there? Yes. And do the SDRs roll up to marketing? I've been seeing this more where the SDRs are rolling up to marketing instead of sales.
1: Yeah, we've been having this debate among my CMO network. Okay. We do have SDRs. We have outbound SDRs that report into sales and we have inbound SDRs that report into marketing.
0: Mm, Okay, And then they have a
1: strong relationship in terms of just training and that sort of thing. But we're always constantly talking about cadences and good processes. And we have shared content for how we engage and move business through the funnel, but we have it in a a kind of divergent path.
0: Mm, Okay. You know, as I look, I look at your career and like, you've done, you've already done some amazing things. You've been at some Huge brands. You got exposed to some really cool things. Worked with some brilliant people. Here you are now at Ceros, Um, and in you're at the tip of the spear in, in a rapidly changing space. That we, you know, the brand, brands need you. I'm not surprised that you're working with all these brands. I mean, we need we need support and content. We need help in the tools in that regard. My question for you is just kind of like at this stage of the game, like what keeps you going? Like what's the thing that drives you in your work now? Is it just the the cool experience of working with other brands? Like, What's this driving thing that's keeping you going?
1: It is working with these brands and helping them solve the problems that I face every day as a marketer. So this is the first time in my career that I'm actually marketing and serving people like me, people like you, mm-hmm. <laughs> people like your listeners. That's exciting for me at, the, at this stage of my career because I know what those pain points are firsthand. And we have a very relevant technology that is helping these brands to elevate their own brands at the same time, help create demand for their product or their service offering. That keeps me very, very motivated. I think the other piece of that is I'm surrounded by a great team of experts. As I mentioned before, I don't know everything and no one should ever claim to know everything. I'm constantly learning. That's one of the things about me where I just remain curious about stuff. But now, not only do I get to share my knowledge with them, but I'm learning from them. And so this is where I'm trying to keep up with marketing. That's very inspiring to get up every morning to go, you know what, I think I'm gonna go call this person on my team To really understand what does this mean, what are the implications for marketing? What's the implications for our customers? I love that because then I feel fed of constantly learning, which is a big value point of mine. The other piece of that is our platform is a way to do brand storytelling. So I've talked about how important storytelling has been in my life. This platform allows companies to be able to do that in a way that's very very engaging.
0: I saw something about. Ceros acquiring online visual commenting tool Arosan? Is that pronounced right? Orson. Mm-hmm. Orson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also saw if you go back, you'll see there's been some acquisitions, which I love. And I know you had some experience, you know, being a part of acquisitions in the past. But um, I guess twofold. One, you know, your involvement in the strategy of act in the in the acquisition side of things, like what's that like as a, as a marketing leader? And then Specifically about this visual commenting kind of arena, and what it seems like there's something obviously to that, and what are you seeing in that space?
1: Yes, and this is what i one of the things many things I love about saros is the partnerships that we have on the executive team. We all weigh in on decisions that we're making around m and a activity, business strategy, and I think one of the things that I do bring to the table besides when I take off my hat, having done some m and a work, putting my hat back on is What are the things that are going to really delight our customers? What's going to make their jobs easier? How do they do the jobs that they do to make sure that Seros is integrated into the other systems and tools that they have? So how do you look at it from the day in the life of a digital marketer? How do you look at it from the day in the life of a creator, a designer? So being able to bring that forward to the table to help drive what are going to make sense for as part of an acquisition strategy or building out a bigger community for ourselves. Now on the Oristen acquisition specifically, we have another product that has its own brand, it's called Markup, and it is an online free commenting tool. You can bring in live uh, websites, PDFs, any type of image, and people can comment on it. And you can resolve those comments as well. So in addition to having the ability to create content, now you can collaborate with a number of people inside and outside your organization to comment on that. What Orison brings to that offering is the ability to comment on audio and video files. So it's a technology acquisition, but we also, uh, it, was a, it was a people acquisition at the same time. So people and tech. Mm. We brought you that. I love that. So as part of our big vision around creating and collaborating, it's helping to broaden that portfolio around the, the online feedback tool.
0: What are some things you can share with other marketing leaders who are looking to really like curate an engaged audience in 2022, right? It's cookie world. It's a whole new, in some ways, there's things that haven't changed. In some ways, everything's changed there was a webinar that I was on recently where we we spoke about this a little bit and, and just kind of getting some insight. And I would love your just kind of opinions on on curating an engaged audience today. And what are some of maybe the elements or ingredients, some of these brands that I know are listening in, what can they begin to think about? Maybe there's things they can take out, things they can add overall kind of holistically. How will you you know encourage or inspire a marketing leader to think about curating an engaged audience in this year moving forward?
1: I think it begins with uh, knowing what feeds them and inspires them. Relevancy, I know that it's, a, it's an overused term at this point, but for some reason, for being an overused term, we haven't really taken it to heart. But the reality is, is that you have to be very relevant to a community of people, and you're feeding them based on both the heart and the mind. So intellectually, what are we providing to them that makes them better at what they do? Uh, from the heart perspective, How do you tell the stories and show, help them see a better version of themselves in what you can provide and what you provide is not just a product. It could be a service. It could be education. It could be a number of things, but you have to first understand what motivates and inspires them. And then what are the ways that you can feed them in that sense of community? Because if it's worth their time and it has meaning to them, they're going to come back. And it's a very, you know, this, I know it's a very noisy world. I've got unlimited, you know, places to go, but I only go to a handful because there's a sense of community where I can be real and I can get information that I need. That's going to make me better. So for marketers, it always begins with how do you do that? How do you really understanding your audience? How do you remain relevant? Because they got a lot of places to go. So at this point, you have to be invited into their world. You got to be invited into their office, into their home. And the way that you're going to do that is by being very relevant. I think the other thing, too, and Jeremy, we learned this, particularly in the pandemic. I think it's, it's, it's been on this trajectory, but the, the pandemic certainly facilitated it, is we have become and we, we've exposed our vulnerabilities as people. And I actually think that's a really good thing. It would not be um, unlikely for my son to come walking through this door and disrupting my Zoom call. He's not here, so he's not going to do it. <laughs> but, you know, the humanity of who we are as humans, first and foremost, before we're professionals. And I say that because now we have a chance for our brands to represent a bigger purpose and our brands to represent vulnerability because people are gonna connect with that. The rawness of what you do, the rawness as a person and the stories, bring it back to stories, stories again on that. It's a very good thing.
0: Can you give an example, like a use case of a brand that made made a shift like that and and maybe a campaign or something that they launched in that same vein?
1: Oh, I can't think of one that I would specifically name, but I can say that I'm pleased to see a number of brands like AIG and some others who have started to put programs around their brand purpose for social issues. And so now many marketers are starting to pivot some of their brand towards those things around a bigger purpose that will impact society whether their their product is completely aligned to that or not that's irrelevant but we care about other things that are bigger than what the company actually represents
0: is Seros doing something like that where they're tying in brand purpose to some social issue
1: well we do have um yes first let me state that yes so (laughs) we have and this is exciting to talk about too we brought on a person who is really helping us to think deeply and intentionally around just purpose for our employees. So yes, it's it's diversity and inclusion type of work, but it's really creating places for people to come and show up so that they have a place to go to express themselves freely. And then we're doing a lot of, of coaching around that as well. Um, one of the things, for example, and I just participated in a forum in December, is around how do we how do we help young aspiring females enter into the workforce, find their passion, see the opportunities. This extends outside of Courseros so as to what we actually provide to so something bigger, which is how do you help these young females, for example, have access to executives to help guide them, give them advice. It's a big thing. So we're doing a lot in that area as well.
0: Do you have like, if you reflecting on your amazing career so far, do you have like a favorite failure that like maybe at the time seemed like, oh, but then maybe either taught you something really valuable or maybe it turned around and it was like, it turned out to be something really great.
1: You know, I think the, Oh, uh, kind of, happened over time. And I think it was because times have changed since when I first started managing people. So I'll I'll give an example of of just management, maybe in, in general more so. But at that time that I started to manage people, I did it by the textbook. And when you do it by the textbook, you're more worried about following the rules around management, these books didn't talk, did not taught not teach you how to lead. They didn't teach you how to connect at the individual le- level with your team members. And that's something you learn over time. And I think the big shift for me honestly came when I had a child. So that was a very pivotal moment for me in many, many ways. But it helped me to see things through a lens of, the importance of these other aspects of our lives that make up who we are too as professionals. And that was, that was very pivotal, but I think it was just the evolution of going from management 101 and how to do the performance review. And you have to be all of these rules around it, that you also have to be flexible to the individual needs of each person on your team. So I think the, the lesson there and the failure early on was managing to the masses versus leading to the individual.
0: Hmm. On the note of kind of team, you know, there's nothing more frustrating and time consuming, depending on who you ask in terms of talent acquisition, right? How do you approach now kind of building a high performance team, finding the right person? What are some of the key things that you're looking for now because you've had experience. Being an individual contributor, leading teams in different industries, what's your kind of process around finding the best fits these days?
1: Yeah. So talent acquisitions should always be your number one priority. You're only as good as the team members that you bring on. And so I spend a lot of time on finding the right talent, but also keeping the talent that we have. It's very important to nurture and feed them. But let's talk about talent acquisition for a minute because it's uh, very competitive. We've got the great resignation going on right now. There's probably more jobs than there are people. And and it's been kind of interesting to navigate through that. But I spend a lot of time out on different channels looking at people, you know, companies that I admire, and then looking at the people that are there to go, gosh, they do this really well. I might go poke and see, oh, who's behind that? But I spend a lot of time on my own going out and seeking talent for the team to augment the talent that I already have. From a how do you retain that talent and grow them, you have to make sure that you're challenging them and giving them opportunities for growth. So it could be new projects that they take on. Uh, At CERO specifically, we have a a team of people that does one-on-one coaching for our mid-level managers, for example, which is rare in a, a company our size. And so we want to make sure that that they're getting fed in that way too, but also giving them permission to find pathways for them to grow their own career path as well. Uh, It's a two-way street. It's not just me saying, here's what your career path should be. And they also have to show a desire to want to grow and to take on more responsibility. The other thing, and sometimes we might lose sight of this because it's exhausting, is be there for them take the time to meet with your team one-on-one small groups lean in you know pick up the phone you don't have to do it over zoom pick up the phone hey how are you doing today oh I remember you saying that your child has a big tournament this weekend how did it go and just show that you care that gets back to the humanity of things Those are the the moments that fuel somebody to want to stay and to connect with you. And that's very, very important. It has nothing to do with career growth. It has to do simply with saying, Jeremy, I care about you. And I just want to say hi, let you know I'm here if you need anything. And that has a lot of power. And it doesn't take a lot of time to do that.
0: What are some of the ways that you celebrate success with your team? And has it changed in the past couple of years?
1: Well, it's changed a, a little bit. Um, yeah. Well, and keep in mind, I joined Saros uh, eight months ago, nine months ago, during a pandemic.
0: <laughs> Perfect timing.
1: <laughs> Perfect timing. That th- There's a lot to unpack there as well. The way that we celebrate since we're now a remote first company, and so many people have moved to other locations and we're spread out across not just the US, but the globe, is every week the marketing team gets together and we make sure that we do shout outs at the very end of our meeting. Cause it's an update meeting on, Hey, what happened this week? What are the priorities for the next week? But we do two things, shout outs to team members of how others had supported us or cool things that they did. And then we do a spotlight where, We nominate somebody to spotlight their work. And this makes sure that the hidden figures within your team who are kind of behind the scenes, you know, doing things, elevating their work so they feel really good and they're sharing it. And sometimes it gets them out of their comfort zone as well. But I think the recognition in little ways like that makes a difference. And then we have little gifting platforms that we do as well. But I think the public recognition is really important. And then from a company perspective, we have town halls where we do recognition. We have Slack channels where you can go out. We have a whole promotion Slack channel, uh, Happy Birthday Slack channel. So there's just different ways that you can leverage technology to do it, especially because we're in this remote situation.
0: Were live events a big part of the strategy before? Yes. Okay. So obviously that's a big topic these days. What's been some of the things you've done to pivot into, I guess, hybrid events or virtual events?
1: We're primarily virtual. Okay. Although we we have done some live events. We're doing a live event uh, in uh, March in the UK. Ooh. Actually, I'm going to be out in your neck of the woods in Austin in early May for an event. I can't wait for that. Get on a plane and go.
0: What event is that?
1: It's the Forrester B2B event.
0: Great. That's so great. So I get to
1: see some of my um, my CMO peeps and, and others and cannot wait to attend that. Mm. But it's been mostly virtual. We're starting to go hybrid and then we're planning for H2 to go back in person. It's a big piece of, of, our, of our marketing and, and how we engage our buyers and our customers as well. I think we've learned that as much as we've adapted to this virtual, you know, world, the reality is we really miss being in the same room. We can't yeah. go back to that. It doesn't, virtual does not replace in person. You can make the most of it. And there's certainly some interesting ways that you can elevate your brand in a virtual way. Lots of cool technology is coming out, but the reality is the human connection is really what bonds people together and can't wait to get back to that.
0: Also, on that note, are you going to be involved uh, anything South by Southwest here in Austin?
1: We do not have any direct plans for that.
0: Okay, I like, man, I feel like that'd be a great, a great space for for Cerros to come and play.
1: It would, yes, I agree.
0: Okay, well, maybe, maybe it can happen. We'll plant the seed for whoever's listening. and yes, and maybe decide yeah. bring the squad to Austin for, <laughs> for South by.
1: Be perfect for a CEO.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So we talked about some of the campaigns and stuff as any other like stories, you know, around favorite campaigns or campaigns you're learning about now things you're innovating around any stories around that stuff. It's always interesting
1: related to Saros or to others mm-hmm. in the industry. Well, for Saros, I think we are at a moment where when I think about our vision as a company and the possibilities with the whole creator community, We have an opportunity to really extend that out to other personas who want to create as well. I think sometimes we think of creators as simply designers and marketers, when in reality, there's a bit of creativity in all of us. Now, some are better than others, for sure, but we all want to be able and have a sense of creativity in our lives. And so our vision is around that. How do we broaden this and unlock the creative powers that are within every person and so we're working on how that vision gets manifested through partnerships, product, brand, and ideas. And that's exciting to me. I mean, this is exactly why Jeremy, I love this size of company because it is the high growth and it is, you know, the the possibilities are limitless in terms of where we can take our vision and our brand.
0: What is your kind of perspective around, you know, calculating lifetime value? Like, do you look at these sorts of numbers and say, okay, we look at, you know, existing brands that we're working with at Zeros, calculate their value. And then do you get into kind of cost of acquisition? And do you get into like, okay, can we invest this much now? We know these brands are worth X amount. How much did we pay to get those brands? Like, do you get into that sort of strategy around acquiring new new customers?
1: Yeah, we certainly do. I mean, we have to be smart about our go-to-market. And like any company um, and any CMO, I'm constantly looking at what are the most opportunistic verticals? Where can we best solve problems? It's not as though we have a limitless pool of resources and people. So we have to be very smart about where we can go and expand our footprint, for example. And so we do look at that. Uh, In fact, our sales team is organized in that way, uh, not just around verticals, but around ICPs and things like that. And so we we try to be smart about how we go to market and and where we're going to place our bets. CAC is an interesting one. Yes. Do we look at those things? Absolutely. But this also gets back into the how much of the data do you infuse into things as opposed to just being bold and creative with your approach? And so this is what I love about Saros is I've worked for companies where we're so data driven, and that's what we looked at. And it was like, well, wait a second. No, we need to make we need to make investments. That there's a payoff that comes later on, but let's just keep doing the right thing. And yes, those are important, but we've got to make the right investments now because that will have a positive impact later on down the road with these bigger metrics. It's always interesting to look at lifetime client value and stuff because a lot of the times we do it from the lens of money, not necessarily from what makes them happy and delight. Mm. And so I think we have to be careful. Again, those are legit metrics that we have to pay attention to, but this is why we augment those things with what's the health of your customer based on a lot of different dimensions that we believe do lead to higher levels of retention, bigger renewals, expanding our footprint, and things like that. Indicators? Yes. Are we um, obsessed about those two things? No.
0: Cool. Okay. All right. Let's get into the lightning round and have some fun with these. Are you ready? I think so. (laughs) All right. Okay. So, Here's a, you're definitely ready. I've got some of that were on the dock, and then I'll throw a couple of other ones at you that are always fun.
1: Okay, all right,
0: okay. Real quick shout out to Salesforce. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Salesforce, we love you if you're out there and we know you are. Uh, First question, we have Jamie Geyer, CMO of Saros in the studio. We're on Riverside. First question, Jamie, texting or talking?
1: Oh, definitely talking.
0: Okay, all right.
1: Walk and talk specifically, so you get your
0: exercise. I'm a walker and talker too, same thing. So you can know that if we ever talking, I'm usually walking, (laughs) just know that. You'll hear wind in the background, birds or our kids kids running around, one of the two.
1: Yeah, same here.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, Um, what do you love and appreciate about yourself?
1: I think being curious. I'm just naturally curious, which makes me want to delve into subjects and really get to know and understand them. But I'm curious about people. I'm curious about life. Curious about, I don't know, you name it.
0: (laughs) That's it. Well, I share that. (laughs) I share that secret superpower with you. I think that if you were to ask me, like, what's the one thing that's like been so influential in my career? It's just curiosity. It's this I'm voraciously curious like you, it sounds. And I can't get enough. I am always curious about literally everything. So um, I didn't realize how important that would be until now, but I love that.
1: Uh, Yes. Stay curious.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite day of the week?
1: Saturday. Okay. I
0: thought you were going to say football Sunday, maybe, (laughs) but okay.
1: Well, that's why I was like, Well, first of all, let me say, every day is a blessing to be alive. So that's a tricky question because then I'm forced to answer one. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, Sunday and Monday for a variety of different reasons, but I'm going to go with Saturday.
0: Saturday. Okay, cool. What's your favorite city in the U.S. besides Seattle?
1: Okay, no offense to the majority of your listeners out there who do not reside in the city. I love Boston. I've spent a lot of time in Boston. Cool. Uh, I love the culture. I love the food. I love the shopping. I love the history. The Freedom Trail Walk is amazing.
0: Boston's great. I love that. Um, I've been there a little bit. Okay. What was the last film you saw in theaters, if you can remember? Oh,
1: in theaters? When was the last time I was in a theater? Well, know, right. So listen, my son and I do Friday Friday night family movie nights. Oh, cool. And we rewatched 42. I love that movie.
0: Okay. I haven't seen that one yet. It's on the list of in the the queue, but I haven't seen it yet. I know what you're talking about.
1: And yes, you got to see that.
0: Okay. Yes. Okay, 42.
1: Yes, we love it.
0: Awesome. Um would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals?
1: Well, that's interesting because it depends on um it depends on how I'm feeling about people, because <laughs> there are days, Jeremy.
0: That's great.
1: Animals are a little bit easier to get along with, but I'm going to go with I'm going to go with uh, speaking every language because I love to travel and it'd make it a lot easier if I knew their language, but also because of the storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your favorite holiday?
1: Christmas.
0: Okay. Favorite live concert.
1: My favorite live. Oh, I love music. This is one of the reasons I love Austin. Mm-hmm. In Washington, we have this location along the Columbia River called the Gorge. It's an outdoor venue. And Ooh, I've heard of amazing, it. Amazing. Amazing for concerts. Yes. I've seen many bands there. I can list them all off if you wanted to. But I'm going to say Zach Brown Band gave a phenomenal performance. They're great. I was Oh, loved them. That's great. Yeah.
0: OK, I like that. Um, scale of one to 10. How good of a driver are you?
1: 10. Okay. Of course.
0: <laughs> um,
1: wait, wait, Ten's good, right? Ten's, ten, 10 is, is good. good. Okay. 10 is good. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, fill in the blank, please. Something wise your elders taught you was. Grit. Mm, love that.
1: Came from World War II generation, Depression era, parents and grandparents. So. Wow. They teach you a lot about grit.
0: That's amazing. Uh, if you could choose between these two superpowers, which would you choose, invisibility or super strength?
1: Super strength.
0: Okay. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers?
1: <laughs> there does seem something really wrong about that. Um, as I, you know what? I'm not a vegetarian, but there does seem something strange about eating the shape of an animal when... <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably Great. gonna get myself in troubles now. You know what? Go eat the go eat the crackers, they're probably vegan anyways. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, if you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing?
1: I would probably be, oh, this is gonna be outlandish, okay? But this is true. An archaeologist. Oh. I did a trip to Israel and to Egypt. Cool. And visit all those sites, and that was really phenomenal. But it kind of goes against my nature of wanting to be around a lot of people and communicating. But anyways, mm. I think it would be fascinating.
0: I like that. Okay. Do you have a least favorite marketing buzzword?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, there's a lot of them. Synergy, optimize. But I think right now my least favorite business world word is circle back.
0: Oh, circle back. Oh, man. <laughs> Golly. That's one. I, I agree there. And then one for me is um, is let's, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. And I hear that a lot. And let me tell Oh man, okay, that's great. Okay, last question. What would you go back and tell your younger self about being a marketing leader?
1: A marketing leader in particular or just a leader in general?
0: Ooh, I would say just being a leader. Yeah, how about just be, what what would you tell yourself about being a leader?
1: I would tell myself that irregardless of where you come from, you can be whatever you want, including a leader.
0: Mm, I love it. This has been awesome. Jamie, thank you so much for making time to be here. Uh, What an honor. Congratulations on all the momentum uh, behind you and the squad at Seros. And so excited to kind of stay connected to see where things go and head with the brand. But thanks for being on the show. This was really a highlight of my day. Thank you.
1: Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it.